this um, series we're doing is going on longer than I expected. Uh, we're in Galatians. There's Galatia. Once more. The little red dot. It's a province, or it was a province in the Roman Empire. And again, Paul was writing this book to straighten out some false teaching uh, about how they were teaching that the Gentiles that were coming into the church needed to follow the Old Testament law, and if they did it, they wouldn't be saved. And like we said over and over, um, maybe you don't hear that so much, but people like to put rules and laws on people that come in and um, you know, we have to do all these things in order to be saved. Uh, the Bible teaches otherwise. We're saved by grace. And then there are things that we are expected, that God expects of us afterwards. But salvation comes by grace um, alone. And uh, so we talked about that over and over. Um, we've said before you can break it up into three parts. There's six chapters. So the first two chapters cover grace in the gospel. Then we got grace in the law, which we're wrapping up tonight. And then after that, we'll have grace in the Christian life, the practical stuff. And so, we, I think last week we, just, we finished up the Grow Up, Grow Up, Would Ya? Is that what we did? No one remembers? Jeff does, thanks. <laughs> um, so we're, we haven't made it through chapter four. It's a long chapter, I guess. So um, last week we did say that what legalism, it looks like spiritual maturity, but in fact, tis not. Um, Paul says that the law was a schoolmaster or a guardian, which is a, a schoolmaster was a guardian for children, uh, and, and Jesus came to bring us out from that, release us from that, and has adopted us into his family as adults. We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. And so to go back to the law would be childish, and that's where we left off. So grow up, would you? And now um, Paul... Now he's going to talk about uh, who's your mama. I was just going to call it your mama, but I didn't. Who's your, who's your mother? Before he gets to that bit, he kind of talks about the, their present spiritual situation and sets up um, his next argument. And so we've got the setup. So Galatians chapter 4, we're going to finish chapter 4 today. Um, uh, verse 19, we're starting at. I put it on the papers, but again, you can follow along in your Bible just to make sure that I didn't make it up. You never know. Well, you should, but. Galatians 4 19 says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice where I stand in doubt. Of you, and uh, we'll read the next one later. But as parents, they say that you never seem to outgrow your children. Mine haven't grown up yet; uh, some of yours have, and uh, I think it's true. You don't just kick them out and then forget about them. I don't think so. Maybe some do, but I don't think you guys do. Uh, they say someone said that when they're little, they're a handful, but when they're grown. They're a heart full. And someone else said, when they're little, they step on your toes. When they're grown, they step on your heart. And um, it's kind of what Paul is experiencing spiritually with these people. 
You know, Paul's put in time and effort and love and care and support and teaching like a parent would. Uh, he sees himself as a, as a spiritual father to these, to these churches. And he's put all this time and effort into teaching them. And, and now they're doing something completely opposite of what, he'd been, what he taught them. And I can't imagine. I mean, my, my kids haven't done anything really bad yet. But there are times you're like, you, you teach them, and they do the opposite, and it's frustrating. So I, so I, I understand where Paul's coming from, and I know you guys do as well. Um, and so it's a, it's a frustrating position that he finds himself in, as, you know, as any sort of leader, or pastor, minister, parent, whatever. When you try to help people, and they just kind of do what they're going to do anyway. But as a parent, you still find yourself wanting to help these children of yours. And so this is where Paul is. He sees himself again, like I said, as a father to them. And that's why he calls them my little children. When he came to them the first time, he travailed spiritually, or he worked spiritually to see them saved. And now that they were going backwards and acting foolish, he has to do it all over again. So that's what he's referring to with the travailing. And he was willing to do it because of his love for them and his desire to see Jesus formed in them. And in this instance, formed means literally uh, until a, a mind and life in complete harmony with the mind and life of Jesus shall be like, formed in you. So that's what he's working toward to help them be more like Jesus. Verse 20 reads a little bit odd in the King James. What it means, uh, the English standard is a little clearer. It says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. It says in the King James, change my voice, which kind of sounds like he wants to, I don't know, be a ventriloquist or something. I mean, it's talking about the tone, how he's talking. And for I am perplexed about you is what that means. And so he's expressing, expressing, I changed my voice expressing the frustration with having to write this and not being able to see them and speak in person. Some of us, we like to write notes, we like to text, we like to messenger, whatever, email. Um, but there are, there's always things that don't come across as clear as when we're face-to-face -face with someone and talking to them. There's sometimes, I hate calling people on the phone, but there are sometimes I'm like, I better just call them so we can get this figured out instead of going back and forth and being confused, especially when it comes to my mother. <laughs> but it's like, there's, 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 you can write and you can say all these things writing, but sometimes it, it, it's lost. Um, you know, sarcasm isn't picked up as easy when you write something, text or something, people don't quite get it. Um, tone is harder to convey, and so Paul's a little bit frustrated that he has to be writing this instead of being able to be with them and talk with them and straighten them out that way. And I'm sure um, you've experienced that sort of thing on one end or the other, not knowing what someone's talking about or them not knowing what you're talking about by writing something. And so um, sometimes it's better just to talk in person, um, make sure everyone understands. So that's what Paul's getting at. In verse 21, he says, tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? He says, I wish I could be there so you can understand my tone, you can understand where I'm coming from. But honestly, he says, you that want to be under the law, have you even heard the law? Like, 
You say you want to live under this thing. Do you even know what it is? Are you even listening to what it is? Um, and since the false teachers or the Judaizers had been using the law, Paul, um, he was a, a former Pharisee, which is a student of the law. Uh, he, he accepts their challenge, and he's, so far he's been using the law to prove that they don't need to be under the law. And so this is something that Paul's already mentioned before, and he's hit on several times. But he says, you, the, you who want to be under the law, do you even listen to it? Do you even follow it? Do you even know what it, it says? Are you just saying, going along with it because it sounds good or whatever? And so this time, Paul's going to um, set up an argument, again from Abraham. So it's not the first time he's mentioned Abraham. Um, but if you notice the last couple of weeks, Paul's been talking about children and sons and the like. And so he's going to use two of Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael. After um, Sarah dies, Abraham marries again and has a bunch of kids that everyone pretends didn't exist. But the two that, <laughs> the two that are the focus of the story are Isaac and Ishmael. Um, and um, if you know anything about Isaac and Ishmael, what's happening right now in our world is a result of Isaac and Ishmael. And so it's still going on. Um, this conflict between these two brothers, these two sons of Abraham. And so the story of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, is a, it's a true story. And these people did exist. I believe that. Um, hopefully you do as well. The Bible tells us that they did. Um, so, but Paul's going to use them as an allegory. And so what an allegory is, it's a, it's a story that you tell that has a deeper meaning to it. Um, some famous allegories would be um, like The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I don't know if you've read that. It's a pretty famous one. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, that's another quite famous allegory. Um, even Alice in Wonderland is an allegory about growing up and not understanding um, the adult world and things like that. Um, so Paul, he's going to use the very real story of Abraham and show some hidden meanings behind what happens between him, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac. And to once again prove that salvation comes from grace and not the law. So first we're going to start with the facts, the historical facts of Abraham um, and his ladies. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, For it is written... Then Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he, that, he of the free woman was by promise. So Abraham, he's got two sons in this story. One is from his wife, Sarah, that God has promised. And Sarah was a free woman. And one was by Hagar, his wife's slave or servant, who was a bondmaid. So that's what he's talking about. And the son of Hagar, the bondwoman, was born after the flesh or because of a decision that Sarah and Abraham made because God didn't seem to be working fast enough for them. And the son of Sarah, the free woman, was the one who God had promised, Isaac. And Paul doesn't go into all the details about Abraham's story. It's fairly well known. If you want to read it later, you can find it in Genesis 12 to 21. The whole story of Abraham there. We're just going to give a short summary or timeline going by Abraham's age. So at age 75, 
Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan. God promises him many descendants in Genesis 12. Both Abraham and his wife Sarah, they want children, but Sarah is barren. God is waiting until both of them, according to Romans 4, uh, are just as good as dead <laughs> before he gives them um, their promise. Um, he performs a miracle in their life and give them their son. So 75 is when he's called 85. Um, Sarah starts becoming impatient because it hasn't happened yet. Ten years is it's a pretty long time to wait. That's a, that's a good waiting period, I would think. You know, when you're 75 and you're waiting to have a kid, I think eight by... Most of us would probably be a little impatient by 85. <laughs> the, prom the promised son has not arrived yet. And Sarah suggests, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't happening. It's been 10 years. So she says, you know, why don't you um, take my servant, um, Hagar, why don't you marry her? She's my, my maid. And you have a son by her and I'll, it'll be mine because she's my servant. And um, this was something that they did in those days. It was legal in that society, but it obviously it was not what God was talking about when he gave the promise. It was not the will of God. And so Abraham um, doesn't seem to fight her very much with this. So I don't know what that's about, but he, he goes along with her plan. And this is in Genesis 16. And um, a year later... Hagar's with child, and um, she and Sarah's plan works. And surprise, surprise, Sarah gets jealous. <laughs> um, things are starting to be difficult in the home, um, and then Sarah is going to end up throwing Hagar out later. Um, but God intervenes, brings Hagar back, and promises to take care of her son. When Abraham is 86, Ishmael is born. That's in Genesis 16. And when Abraham is 99, God shows up and reaffirms his words. This has been 24 years since um, the promise first happened. And so God speaks to Abraham again and promises him that he's going to have a son by Sarah. And he's going to call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Because Sarah was laughing by now at how ridiculous this seems. And so... Um, and then God appears and reaffirms his promise to Sarah as well. And those, that's in Genesis 17 and uh, 18. And then at 100 years old, Isaac is born. It was, um, I called him laughter again. Um, but the arrival of Isaac creates a new problem in the home. Ishmael is still in the house. And now he's got a rival. So for 14 years or so, Ishmael has been his father's only son. And he's dear to his heart. And you know, how is Ishmael going to respond? Um, now that there's the promised one. I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like. And so at 103, um, Ishmael mocks, starts mocking Isaac. Uh, it was customary for the Jews to wean their children about the age of three. And they would make a big deal about it and how this child is moving on to the next step. They like to have ceremonies to announce when a child was going on to the next step. They still do. Um, so it was a big thing. And they have a feast uh, to mark this momentous occasion. And Ishmael starts to mock Isaac in Genesis 21. 
and eight. And it begins to create some trouble in the home. And there's only one solution to the problem, and it's a costly one of that. Hagar and her son Ishmael are forced to leave for good this time. With a broken heart, he sends, Abraham sends his son away because God tells him to do that in Genesis 21. Um, and so on the surface, this story just looks like, um, you know, it's a messed up family. <laughs> you know, um, just looks like the family's got some problems and they figure out something and work through it. But underneath the surface, Paul's going to point out there's some meanings that carry a lot of um, spiritual weight. And so Abraham, the two wives and the two sons, they represent different things. And the relationships teach us some important lessons. So those were the historical facts. So now we're going to go to the truths, so the spiritual truths. So Galatians chapter 4, uh, back to there, 24, 29, it says, Which things are an allegory? So that's where we get that from. For these are the two covenants, that one uh, for the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. So that's Hagar, um, and that's the law, Mount Sinai. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, or heavenly Jerusalem is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that criest, that, rejoice thou barren that bearest not, and break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we barren as Isaac was, now we brethren, sorry, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, and was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So we're going to kind of explain what he's getting at here, because I had a hard time reading that. And uh, so that story... Um, that we talked about in mind. Paul is going to present some true, spiritual truths behind this factual, historical story. So he begins with a mention of Abraham's two sons. And there's 22 and 23. We already read that. And we know them, their names to be Ishmael and Isaac. And he, then he uses them to explain that there are two births that we can have. There's a physical birth, which makes us sinners or born in sin. There's a spiritual birth, which makes us God's children. We've already talked about adopted in as adult sons or whatever. We've gone over that already. So we've got a little table here. So on one side, you've got the old covenant, which is the law. On the new covenant, we've got grace. The old covenant, we have um, Hagar as a slave. She represents that. Sarah, she's a free woman. She represents the new covenant. Ishmael was conceived in flesh. This wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's um, wasn't the way he had it, you know, he wanted it to go. Uh, and then we have Isaac, who was miraculously conceived by God intervening. And then the Old Covenant, we've got earthly Jerusalem at the time of Paul's rightness. They were under Roman rule, they were in bondage. And then the New Covenant, there's heavenly Jerusalem, which is, is free. So Isaac, he represents the um, born-again Christian in a few ways. The first is he was born by God's power. In fact, God waited at least 25 years from when he promised Isaac to when Isaac was born. And people that are in their hundreds and 90s generally aren't having children. It's a, it's a miracle. 
for that to be happening. So he was born by God's power. Galatians 4.29 says, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the Spirit. So even so, even so it is now. Good grief. Um, Abraham, he represents faith. We've seen that over and over and over. Sarah, she represents grace. And so we know that we are saved by grace through faith. It takes both working together. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, as of the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So it took both faith and grace for Isaac to be born, and it was through the power of God. And it takes both grace and faith for us to be born again, and this is something that's done again by the power of God. So there's a similarity there. We can try to do it on our own, like Abraham and Sarah tried, um, by throwing Hagar in the mix, but it's not going to bring the promise. It's going to bring something else, and uh, it's not going to work. The second way that we are like our Isaac, or Isaac's like us, is that he brings a joy into his family's life. Isaac's name means laughter, and obviously after waiting years and years and years, there was joy when this baby boy was finally born. And when we are born again, there's a certain joy that comes into our lives. Romans 14 and 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's a joy that comes from the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and some other stuff. But joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Salvation is an experience of joy not only for us, the ones that are born again, but for the family, there's a, there's a joy in the church when people are added. There's a um, the angels in heaven rejoice when someone repents. There's a celebration when someone is born again. There's a joy that accompanies our new birth. Um, this one is obvious, but Isaac grows. <laughs> the new birth is the beginning, not the ending. Some people think all we need to do is just be born again, but there's a growing that needs to take place afterward. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. There's, we, the word of God helps us grow. It's, it's, to, it's to do that. It's to make us grow. Um, 2 Peter uh, 3 and 18 says, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we're supposed, there's supposed to be a growing that takes place after we're born again. The goal is, is growth. If a baby doesn't grow, there's a great cause for concern. Our oldest, um, when she was a wee lass, she wasn't very big. She's not very big still. She's big to us because she's taller than the rest of her siblings. But compared to people her age, she's not. Um, but I, we used to have to go... The doctor was very concerned because she was quite a bit smaller um, than, you know, to have a chart where your kid's weight should be based on, you know, everyone else. And so she was always on the very low side of that. So we were concerned, but as they continued to chart it, she was, you know, following the right curve and she was growing. She was growing. She was just not as large maybe as other children in her age group. But as, you know, you could see that she was, in fact, growing, and it was on her own time and her own, you know, trajectory. And that's, you know, that's how growth works. 
babies grow how they're going to grow. Some are going to grow faster than others. You know, you can have two kids born at the same time. You can have twins and they can grow at different rates. You know, um, they grow they grow differently than, than others, and that's how that's how it works. Some grow faster, and some grow slower. But there needs to be some growing. If there's no growing at all, then that's that's a concern. Um, so there needs to be some sort of of growth. Genesis twenty one and eight says, um, "The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned." So just like Isaac grew and was weaned, or he moved from milk onto solid food and things, we need as Christians to grow and move on from the basics and go further with, with Jesus. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church that there comes a time when we need to put away childish things and grow up. Um, oh, I skipped that. It says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child and thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So there are times in our lives where we're meant to grow, we're meant to move on and, and stuff. And so um, Isaac grew, and we as Christians are supposed to grow after we're born. If not, then we're in trouble. And uh, the last part is Isaac was, was persecuted by Ishmael. Um, Genesis 21 and 9 says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which had born, uh, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. He was mocking Isaac. And Ishmael, um, he represents the flesh. He starts to cause some problems for Isaac. Um, just like how when we come to Jesus, when we're born again, our old flesh likes to cause problems. Maybe for, well, for me anyway. Anyone else has ever had that problem? <laughs> all the flesh likes to cause problems. That's something that Paul's going to go into more later in the book. But Ishmael, as far as we can tell, he doesn't cause any problems at home until Isaac is born. Just like, you know, our old fleshly nature doesn't cause us any problems really until we're born again. And then we start struggling with things. You know, we're allowed to just do whatever we want. That's fine. Then when we start to change, we start to grow, and, and, and Jesus and is trying to work, then that's when the problems, we start struggling with that. Uh, the flesh starts to you know, cause issues. And so um, if you look at Abraham's home, you can see the same basic conflicts as we um, face, the same conflicts we face in our walk with God. So we got Hagar versus Sarah, that's law versus grace, this is an ongoing thing. We've got Ishmael versus Isaac, which is uh, flesh versus the spirit. That's another ongoing um, um, thing. And so um, these are just battles that we have, which is what's interesting is um, there was no law strong enough to control Ishmael. Ishmael, after this, he just gets wild. And uh, there's, there's, no, there's no reigning him in. He got out of control and there was nothing, no laws that they could lay down that was going to control him. Or change that. But with Isaac, Isaac doesn't need any law at all. Isaac simply obeys. Um, Isaac follows his father up a mountain for a sacrifice without anything to sacrifice. Isaac allows himself to be put on an altar. Like Isaac just follows. And there's no, there's a love that Isaac has that is not there with Ishmael. The old nature knows no law, and the new nature needs no law. Um, we've said before that love is stronger than any law. And so, 
That's kind of the case with Isaac and Ishmael. And so Paul, he's examined the sons, and uh, well, now we're going to look at the mothers. So Hagar represents the law, we said, and Sarah represents grace. So he uses Hagar to prove that the law has no power over a born-again child of God. The first point he makes, or the first point there is, is that Hagar was Abraham's second wife. God, you know, when he promised this promise to Abraham, he didn't start with Hagar. He starts with Sarah. That's who his wife was. Um, God, in the Bible, he doesn't start with the law. He starts with grace. We've already proved this before. When God deals with us, he begins with grace. God provides for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sin with grace. Even though they disobeyed him, he didn't give them more rules and say, Okay, you broke the one rule I gave you. I'm going to give you 479 more. <laughs> he gives them grace and he... He makes room for them and um, he gives them a promise in, in Genesis 3 and 15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He, a serpent. He, gives them, he gives them grace. Noah finds what? In the eyes of the Lord. Noah finds law in the eyes of the Lord. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, this is all before the law. God's covenant with Abraham, we've looked at it already, was founded in grace. Abraham was asleep. There wasn't anything he could do. God has made a covenant with him. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, it was by His grace. The law still didn't exist yet, not until they're out in the wilderness. Grace came first in all these stories. And like Hagar, Abraham's second wife, the law was added. Hagar was added to this relationship. The law, or sorry, Sarah was there first. And so Galatians um, 3 and 19, it says, Therefore, uh, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was brought in after. And so Hagar was not who God made the promise to. Hagar was brought in afterwards. So grace came first and then um, Hagar comes. So Sarah was first and then the law comes. Hagar, I got them mixed up. Then it, it serves its purpose and we moved on. The law serves the purpose and on. It was a schoolmaster. And so the second thing is um, Hagar, she was a slave. So Galatians 4, um, we've already read this, but it says, For it is written um, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Verse 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And verse 30, it says, Nevertheless, what say the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the three. So five times, Paul makes sure that we know that she was a slave. We know that she wasn't free. We know that she wasn't a bondwoman. Five times in this passage, we're told that this one was a slave, a bondmaid or a bondwoman. Sarah, she was free. She was in a position of liberty. Even, uh, even if Hagar marries Abraham, she's still a slave. She's still a servant. And the law was given, like we've already read in verse Galatians uh, 3 and 19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? The law served. It, had, it, it was a servant. Um, the law was given to serve. It was never meant to be a mother. It was never meant to nurture or to grow or to mature something. Or It was meant to, to serve a purpose. And Paul's arguing that it already has served that purpose. Uh, number three, Hagar wasn't meant to have a child. And what I mean by that is she wasn't she was just meant to serve Sarah 
you know, has a biological woman. Yes, sure, she's, you know, she, obviously she has a child. But her role in this family, her role in this, this relationship was not to, she was not there to, to rear children. She was there to serve um, Sarah. Abraham's relationship with Hagar, we know, was outside the will of God. And it happened because Abraham and Sarah were impatient. And Hagar was trying to do what Sarah was supposed to do, and it didn't work. And the law cannot give life. The law cannot give righteousness. It can't give the gifts of the Spirit, and it can't give a spiritual inheritance. It wasn't meant to do any of those things. Just like Hagar wasn't meant in this family to be the one that brings the child. That was Sarah's role. That was Sarah's job. And so the law wasn't meant to do these things that grace can do. The law wasn't meant to, to give life or righteousness or any of these things. It wasn't meant to save. It, was, it wasn't meant for that. These false teachers are trying to get the law to do something that it could not, something that it wasn't meant to do, which is what they did with Hagar. The fourth thing is Hagar ends up being cast out. So Sarah gives the order for Hagar and Ishmael to be cast out after Ishmael starts causing problems with Isaac, and somehow Abraham's house is not big enough for Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. One pair has to go. And so Sarah gives the order, and God approves of it. It says in Genesis 21, 9-12, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be near with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous, in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said to Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman, and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so God goes along with what Sarah does and in this case. It says, it's impossible for law and the grace and grace to live in the same house. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be issues. One's going to try to overpower the other. It's impossible for the flesh and the spirit to live in the same house. There's going to be conflict. One is going to overpower the others. And the flesh is older and it's been there longer and it's stronger <laughs> in, that, in this story. <laughs> so we need to get rid of it or it's going to overpower. There's got to be a, a separation. And the last point is Hagar um, does not remarry. She does not get married again. God gives the law to Israel. He doesn't give it to anyone else. He doesn't give the law to Egypt. He doesn't give it to Syria. He doesn't give it to Moab or another country. He didn't give it to the church. And so to push the law on the Gentile believers was to go against the very will of God himself. The Jews were in bondage to the law, but there was freedom in Jesus. Um, Galatians 4 again it says for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with their children so Jerusalem's under the law they're in bondage right now the Jews um, and he says but Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all and so the question is who is your mother <laughs> is it Hagar or Sarah is it the law or grace is it the flesh or the spirit? Who are you going to follow after? You know, Does that make sense? Um, so the last bit, there's a choice that we can make. Um, verse 30 and 31 says, Nevertheless, 
What saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. We read that in Genesis. Verse 31 says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So there's a decision. Abraham had to make the choice you know, to cast um, Hagar and, and Ishmael out of the house. So there's a decision that we also need to make in our lives. We have two pairs here. We have Sarah and Isaac. We have the grace of God, we have His Spirit, and we have Hagar and Ishmael, or the law and uh, our flesh. So what are we going to do with them? We've got to choose. Which one am I going to allow to live in me? Because it's one or the other. One of them's got to go. There's not enough room for both. There's conflict, and uh, it's not going to be resolved. And we've got to choose. You, you know, we know the choice should be grace and the Spirit, but if so, what do we do with the others? Because it's a big decision Abraham had to make to kick, you know, his son and uh, his mother out. What are we going to do with the others? Well, we can try to change them, but that's not going to work. Jesus said that there is a distinct difference. He said in Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is Spirit. It's going to be one or the other. Things that are born of the flesh, that are always going to be flesh. Things that are born of the spirit are always going to be spirit. You can't change flesh to be spirit, and you can't change spirit to be flesh. You can't make Ishmael into Isaac. You can't make Hagar into Sarah. They're different things. You can't do that. So we can't change it. That's not going to work. So we can try to compromise if you want. You can try to get them to work together, but that's not going to work either. That's what the Galatian church was trying to do. And if we try that, all we end up doing is going back to bondage like we've already talked about for weeks. You can't make them work together. So the last option is we can cast them out. And that's what Abraham needed to do, and that's what we need to do. One needs to be removed so the other can grow. Flesh and legalism need to be removed from our lives. We've got a lot of people and churches trying to make these things work together, but it won't work. Warren Wearsby um, says that legalism is one of the major problems among Christians today. We must keep in mind that legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping these standards and thinking that we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards. A person, he says, can refrain from smoking, drinking, and gambling, for example, and still not be spiritual. The Pharisees had high standards, but yet they crucified Jesus. So our old nature loves legalism, loves the law, because it, it lets us look good. And someone that is claiming to be spiritual because of what they don't do is only fooling themselves. It takes more than just negative you know, not doing things to have a positive spiritual life. You cannot do a lot of stuff and still not be spiritual. So we need to do positive things as well. You can kick, you can kick um, Sarah and Hagar out of the house. <laughs> You're no better off. You gotta keep, you gotta keep the positive one. You gotta keep the right one. I'm sure he, Abraham felt like that some days. <laughs> There's a choice. It's one or the other. You can't. And so, 
And he says in verse 31 again, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So we have been set free. We are children born again by grace. And we need to realize that and act like it. Um, what's the secret? How do we do that? Through His Spirit, through the Holy Ghost working in our lives. So we've just wrapped up chapter 4, um, which is the end of the grace and the law doctrinal part. And so now Paul's going to move on to the practical side. Um, so now that we've been born again, what do we need to do? Well, we're getting to that next week. And I'll probably get uncomfortable a little bit here and there. But in the meantime, before we get to next week, we need to make sure that Hagar and Ishmael are out of our homes and out of our lives. We need to make sure that we've got the flesh the law, legalism, whatever, all that stuff, we got to remove it and let grace and um, yeah, the grace work in our lives. Let the Spirit work in our lives and walk in the Spirit and walk in the grace of God. Is that, is that clear enough? The Isaac and Ishmael stuff? You never know how it's going to come out. Alright, well let's, I'm done. Let's pray. Um, again in closing let's pray that um, God would help us to make the right choice uh, Jesus we thank you God for your word we thank you um, God for these examples uh, of Abraham and his family God I pray that you would help us uh, examine our own hearts our own lives and see if there's if we've got the wrong thing in our lives and, God, I pray that you would give us the, the courage to, to make the right decision and remove things that need to be removed, God. I pray that you would work through us. In Jesus' name, God, let your grace and spirit work in our lives. I pray, God, we surrender to you. God, we follow you. We love you, God. I pray continue to have your way and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Who's your mama?